Hi, and welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. I'm Greg Moran, uh, my co-host, Peter Dean. Good to see you, Peter. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back again. <laughs> we go through this every episode <laughs> where Peter is shocked that he's returned yet again. For I'm still break. allowed to talk here. So <laughs> excited about that. That's right. So uh, just as a reminder, Founders Journey Podcast really is meant to provide coaching and actionable tips for founders from founders. Um, so if you're not subscribed, I hope to take a second and do uh, do that right after this recording or put it on pause and do it. I think it's somewhere on the screen. Um, anyway, we've got a great founder with us today that um, uh, I've gotten the uh, real pleasure of getting to know over the past uh, several months. Um, Alex Banks is our, uh, is our guest today. Alex is the founder of the Through the Noise, um, of Through the Noise, which is uh, essentially a media brand. I, I think you could probably call it a conglomerate at this point, right, Alex? Um, <laughs> focused on uh, delivering high signal information for business, finance, and growth. He's a real prolific online creator on uh, on Twitter and a number of other channels. And we'll let Alex talk, uh, give you the, uh, the pitch on Through the Noise. But Alex, uh, welcome. Greg, it's a real pleasure. And Peter, thank you so much for having me today. I'm yeah, thrilled, thrilled to be here, and really excited to dive into this conversation. Yeah, no, likewise. Glad to, uh, glad to have you. So, just as we get started, tell us, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and um, and you know, I gave the I gave the six word description of uh, through the noise, but uh, but you're going to do it a lot better justice than I did. Sure, I guess I'll start with a little bit sort of on me, and then we can branch off into through the noise. But I guess from a from a high level, I've been building online as a creator now for the last five months, really. My aim is to help educate uh, and really demystify business, finance, community and growth for those who want to do the same as me, only quicker by sharing what I do along the way. I think creating in the first instance was something that I put off for a while. I guess coming from the sphere of traditional finance, corporate finance, investment banking, you know, I was I was immersing myself in a very closed, very hush-hush and tight-knit group of individuals who didn't really have an inclination to share ideas outside of their realm. When actually what I understood now is if you really want to control the outcome of your life and control your brand, that's really the only way to gain tremendous leverage and tremendous ownership of at least how you direct your own future. So I guess it was something that I really held back for a few years. Um, I was in the first instant worried about, you know, falling over, bumping my head, grazing my knee. And, you know, <laughs> was I going to write the wrong thing here or was I going to say something stupid there? I think I was, you know, heavily hit with, with imposter syndrome, Greg and Peter. But I think, you know, it's Ray Dalio, the, the great investor, he says, look, we, we fail to learn principles, we improve, and then we set these more audacious goals to go after, right? So I guess by failing fast, we, we, we learn to quickly speed up and get a real hang of the process. So that's really me from a creator standpoint. And then back at the, back at the start of April, um, you know, I was, I was writing quite a few threads on sort of finance uh, and venture capital and how those two spheres intersect. And I thought, look, I'm spending a good amount of time on Twitter each day. And I can see that there is one heck of a load of noise on my Twitter feed, not just Twitter, but on, on, on most social media platforms and other news outlets. And I was going, look, how can I 
effectively dissect all of this abundance of information and for me to really capture the signal amongst the noise. And that was the fundamental impetus for me to start through the noise, essentially helping you cut through the noise on startups, community and capital. Uh, and that currently takes the form of a newsletter and a podcast done on a weekly basis to really give you that signal in the sea of noise. Yep. Well, it's, you couldn't pick a better time to start to, you know, try to create some uh, some signal in a noisy world in uh, in financial markets than probably you uh, you did now. So I'm, <laughs> I I'm sure the timing wasn't uh, wasn't necessarily planned, but uh, but it worked out I think pretty well. Um, you know, let's let's dive into that a little bit, Alex. I mean, what you know, anybody if you're if you're watching or listening to this podcast somewhere anywhere close to the time that we've recorded this back in May 2022, the markets are just exploding, um, you know, after years of sort of only one direction, right? And things have things have really changed. What What's going on now? I mean, when you start to kind of look at that kind of that that signal, what do you what do you see as being the main driver of of what's happening? Yeah, I mean, looking at it from from a high level, right? Look, we are totally in bear market territory now. I think from from all time highs back in Q4 2021, at least in in the public market, you know, the S and P's down eighteen percent, the Nasdaq's down almost thirty percent from from highs, and I think looking at some of the contributing factors. We've got surging inflation, rising interest rates, the geopolitical tensions with Ukraine, supply chain bottlenecks, and obviously the persistent effects from COVID-19 coming all the way back from 2020. And I think rewinding that tape one step further, Greg, looking back to March 2020, you know, we, we saw the Fed starting to inject massive amounts of stimulus in the economy to essentially avoid an economic collapse. You know, we, we, we were seeing I think smoothed over a quarterly basis. We, we've we've seen nine hundred billion dollars per quarter to households that the Fed's mm-hmm. just been injecting into the economy. Right? They've cut interest rates from one and a half to zero, and their balance sheet is just this swollen behemoth. Right? It's 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 over nine, um, nearly nine billion, which is completely absurd. So this, nine, nine trillion. Uh, Nine, 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 nine yeah. trillion. <laughs> Wish we were nine billion. But I guess from that, we, we've we've seen this total dislocation from asset prices to the real economy, right? That the Fed has yeah. fundamentally distorted capital markets. So if we if if we now look at okay, how how has this painted the the economic picture from that? The Fed's massive stimulus package, you know, cheap money, low rates combined with this super fast recovery of economic activity, right? It's led to this crazy demand, this crazy demand shock for goods, right? So, you know, uh, toilet paper, hand sanitizer, you know, wheat, diapers, baby formula, you name it, right? It's, it's, it's there. Whereas services, on the other hand, that's, that's fundamentally lagged from, you know, uh, back uh, stay-at-home mandates uh, because it's it's really a, a requirement for in-person businesses. Flipping to the other side of the table, we've got these global supply chains totally constrained. Right, you know, we 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 had lockdowns in China, and now coupling that with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's just squeezed the commodity market. Uh, you know, all the way from oil to wheat. So 
This positive demand shock coupled with this negative supply shock, it's caused prices to just rocket. And obviously, we've we've seen that firsthand with CPI. You know, it's it's risen to 8.9%, uh, which is the highest it's been in, in, in 40 years, Greg. And yeah. that's way, way higher than what the Fed's targeting, uh, 2% inflation. So now the question lies, you know, look, how do we actually overcome this problem? And from that, the primary lever being raising interest rates. Right. So I guess just to, to break that down for some listeners and, and give a quick, you know, macro one-on-one, when you have a, a country's economy getting a little bit overheated with, you know, prices getting a bit out of hand, central banks, they use something, well, they use their one of their monetary levels um, by increasing interest rates through a contractionary monetary policy. So this takes the form of an interest rate hike. So they increase interest rates. Um, and essentially what that does is it encourages saving um, and also reduces spending. So, you know, we see, we see lending activities reduce um, and consequently, you know, business activity can fall. Now, fr- from all of that, you know, for, for the first time in, what is it, 10 years, the, the Fed has, has now raised rates, uh, both in its March and April Federal Open Markets Committee meetings. You know, yep. it's, it, it's gone up uh, by 0.75%, you know, and, and now the market's expecting, look, we, we think we're going to see an additional 2% by the end of the year. Right. So look, from all of this, from these contributory factors, the the number one catalyst that I see driving this 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 fundamental shift in the economy and this 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 almost collapse in sort of real asset uh, asset prices in 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 the stock market is this market sell off from a massive increase in the market's expectations for rising future interest rates. So people are going look. We think we think future rates are going to just you know blow up in the in the years to come. We are now risk off. We we are going to take our money out, and all of a sudden you know everything comes tumbling down. So it's it's quite a quite a crazy phenomenon. Um, and I guess you know unveiling the curtains a little bit more, Greg. You know this this concept of leverage is so profound, right? Because you know, even you know, even the top investment banks, the top brokerage houses, they don't know how much leverage is in the stock market right now. Right. But a good indicator is margin. So, for example, I guess the best way to demonstrate this 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 information asymmetry is Arcagos back in March 2021, where they just blew up. Right, they they wiped out billions billions of dollars of capital from the markets. So. Really, margin debt is just the, I guess it's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding leverage within the stock market as a, as a whole, right? And when we, when we actually zoom in to margin debt itself, it's fallen. It was, it was at 930 billion and it's, and it's gone all the way down to 773. That, that, that's a drop of 17%, which is really just the start of this unwinding. And, you know, it's, it's a total bloodbath out there. I think you know, just take take some of these very very well known names such as you know Snapchat, Pinterest, Netflix. They're down seventy percent, eighty percent. You know, all, all, all the like uh, Zillow's down, Zoom's down almost eighty percent. You know, DoorDash, Peloton's almost down like 90, 90 plus percent. It's 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 complete yeah. madness. Yeah. So so it's 
it's very analogous to the dot-com bust, only bigger. Because totally. if, if, if you think about it, a, a given investor or a given party of investors with a heavy concentration using margin, they're, they're just going to be forced to sell down the, the the margin debt that they borrow from their from their broker to meet these minimum requirements. And then all of all of a sudden, when this happens at scale, you're just chucking fuel on fuel right on the fire grid. And you're just increasing this total selling pressure. And I guess from that, the big takeaway is look, there's a very important relationship here between stock prices and margin balances. And when you start to really ramp up leverage, it is a leading indicator for where we're going to be seeing stock prices. Not so much the the total dollar value of leverage, but it's the uh, sort of the the delta change in leverage. Right. So coming out of uh, March 2020 with with COVID, it was just this vertical wall in in leverage being employed by these institutions, by these firms. They were just levering up, you know. Right the way to the max, almost this, almost this vertical wall, Greg, of of margin debt, and it and it's complete insanity. And now what we're seeing is it's starting to unwind. Like you know, after this four point seven trillion dollar money printing mania, it's now yeah. starting to come back down. And now we're seeing these effects, these second order effects, third order effects on the private markets, venture capital, and startups in turn. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> well. Go ahead, Peter. I think you were. I was just going to say that's a good intro into, you know, something I know that you guys talked about before um, this call. But um, is you, you're a, you're a startup, right? And you know, I, I may be skipping ahead here, Greg, but you're a private company. Like, how is this affecting me? I'm I'm small, right? There's this misunderstanding sometimes. Or maybe this exuberance that they're feeling as a startup person that's saying, hey, I'm just going to muscle through. I'm good. We right. still have growth. I'm still selling more. Like, this isn't going to affect me. I, I don't think that's true. I mean, I've I've personally been through that. And, you know, you can ask my family. It, we, we definitely got affected by a downturn pretty significantly. Um, why don't you talk about that? Because that's really, I think, really important. Yeah. Um, for people to understand. Absolutely. I think let's firstly look at sort of how these, how these private market valuations are stacking up and then we can perhaps exactly. So what goes there? Okay. Yep. What, what sort of frameworks can we, can we implement now to sort of weather the storm and see yep. out the rest of the cycle? So, you know, transitioning from public markets to private markets, mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a great Substack that I that I subscribe to at the moment by a guy called Jamin Ball. He does one called Cloud of Judgment, and essentially he he, he covers the uh, top top SaaS companies right now. And that is essentially the 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 valuation multiple from that is an excellent indicator for VC exits, right? And, and yep, yep. startup exits. You know, what are we what are we picturing towards? What are we what are we at least heading towards when we see? when we realize some sort of event horizon. So, you know, these medium multiples, they have come crashing down to, you know, 5X, 6X, with low growth being about three and a half and high growth mm-hmm. being just, just over eight. So in order to actually 
justify a unicorn status now of you know a billion dollars, you would need well over 150 to 170 million dollars of next 12 month revenue just to just to meet that on a on a on a valuation term. So and that, that's at a high growth valuation. And, and that's at a high growth valuation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. so, yeah, exactly. To give to give an example, <clears throat> take the work tools platform platform notion, right? Which which I love. I'm a prolific mm-hmm. user of it. I use it to manage a lot of my systems that I that I employ in my day-to-day life. In October 2021, they raised, I believe it was 275 million on a $10 billion valuation. Right? <laughs> it's it's 2021 revenue, I believe. I think this is a bit of a bit of a shot in the dark, but I know it was somewhere around this 43 million range. Okay. This is a 230 X. It's not, it's not 2 billion. Let's say, right? no. that, would, that would justify a $10 billion. Exactly. That causes this, problems though. Right. That does significant problems. problems. Yeah. Significant yeah. problems, Peter. So this is, this is a 230 X multiple, which is, uh, I guess you could say a little richer uh, you know, <laughs> than the high growth eight, nine X that we're presently seeing in the markets, sorry, in the, in, in the market. So yeah, go from that, so what? What does this mean? Okay, we've got rich valuations in the in the private markets, public markets, uh, you know, coming crashing down. So what? Well, some of these crossover funds, such as Tiger Global, which I I wrote about last month, you know, these these private market valuations they 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 lag public markets, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of March, um, you know. Uh, Instacart, the the grocery delivery company, they slashed their valuation from, uh, I believe, it was just shy of forty billion all the way down to twenty four, which is, you know, that's 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 ridiculous. That, that's almost like forty percent. And now, <laughs> now the question lies: Okay, how are these other companies going to adapt to these prevailing market conditions? Right. So I think I think these these valuations will continue to come down. Deal sizes will continue to fall back from. Mm-hmm. From the from the highs of the you know euphoria of 2020, 2021. Yep. And a big, a big point on that is, is you know, these high growth, specifically tech startups, they're very sensitive yep. to increases in discount rates. Essentially, discount rate is just the, the interest rate you use to um, calculate the present value of, of any right. firm's future cash flows, right? So these high growth startups, they're very, very high discount rates because there's, you know, a, quite a significant level of risk that you incur when you when you go to, to invest in one of these companies. So back to my point previously, look, crossover funds such as Tiger, they are, you know, let's let's take Tiger's most recent fund, um, uh, Private Investment Partners 15. They closed a $12.7 billion uh, fund, and that's almost completely invested. Right, that was mm-hmm. you know back in all the way back in March, but they're almost completely completely allocated. So, you know that that speed was 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 still there, fast, yeah, very fast. But you know these these comps have been inflated, and investing timelines were massively massively compressed back in this period. But I think what we're going to see now is them start to elongate once more, and mm-hmm. things are going to go that little little bit little bit slower, a little bit smoother because people are taking that step back and going look. Does your business really command the multiple that you're raising on? What's your operational efficiency like? What are the numbers like? And you know, like how, 
is it a good sound business? Are you going to really weather the storm, stand the yeah. test of time? You know, yeah, and it, so, it so goes well, back that's, to that's the question. This, yeah, you go back to like fundamentals, like mm-hmm. like where are you, um, like from a profitability standpoint, where are we, like in things like that. So this is stuff that Greg and I talk about a lot. It's like how does that change your ability to? So if you're raising now, how does that change your ability to raise, and what you should, what should you be doing? Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. I mean, you start to bring this down, right? You 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 go from public markets to like large, you know, that Tiger Global brand of of PE, right? So I mean, it's it's private market, but it 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 emulates, and I think SoftBank is like this, the Vision Fund yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, they really do emulate a lot of the the public market dynamics and things like that. I think where this gets really interesting, Alex, is like when you take it down to there's <clears throat> when you take it down to sort of the more I would sort of either call it late stage VC or growth PE, yeah. Yeah. depending on how you want to define it, where, you know, you look at the valuations that there's been so much competition. There's been so much capital coming into those companies, into those, those funds, yeah. so much competition for deals. The premiums that they've been paying are just extraordinary and they're levered, right? And that's, I think where this gets really, you know, depending on your perspective, either interesting or scary, right? When you start to look at how how do you start to un, how do you start to think about unwinding that, right? Because you've got this entire category of company that is out there right now that's probably in that call it twenty million ARR to hundred million ARR. Yep, that is wildly inflated in terms of uh, in terms of their valuation, right? Yeah. But that that sort of party deal mentality that it's fine. We're just going to trade up to the next PE and the next PE and the next PE. Yep. It's gone. Right. Yep. And you know, what do you do? Right. If you're a, you're a CEO of one of those companies and you are, you're valued at, you know, you're doing 40 million in revenue valued at 600 million. What, what do you do? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting question that how, how can these, these, this, this, this group of startups navigate the downturn that we're seeing, right? And I think the the big one, at least, is to reevaluate your valuation. Okay, look, right. what did you raise your previous round at? And very much consider, look, it can take up to six months to see, look, what's happening in the public markets to trickle down to venture funding. So yep. look at your sector, where you're operating in, and calculate the... ARR or revenue that you need to go to to at least 12 months of runway, at least, well, I would say 12, 18 months, ideally, because, yep. you know, less than this figure. And what you're doing is you're giving a signal to the funds or partners that you're wanting to raise from next that you're unattractive, especially within this climate. You're right. Going, I am not prudent. I'm not careful of managing my cash position, managing my people in my business and i can demonstrate to you effectively that i can manage this well i can demonstrate to you that look i have this runway we're looking for a little bit more cash to expand operations show me money (laughs) yeah Yeah. to speak so it's 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 really important that that you can demonstrate that and i guess coming from that it's it's very important to control your burn rate to ensure efficient growth yeah and Zooming in a little bit more, you know, we, we, we can look at your burn multiple, which is essentially your cash burn over 
over the net uh, net ARR added. So, for example, look, if company A burns 20 million to add 10 million dollars of ARR, look, it would have, it would have a burn multiple of 2x. Mm-hmm. And I think this is more relevant than say efficiency multiples at this time, uh, such as say uh, LTV over CAC, because your your burn multiple it at least takes into account business functions across the entire company. Right. Not just sales, not just marketing. It, it, it's it's right. more of a holistic view as to how you're going. So I think that's that's another really, really important one, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, there's been a lot um, that's been written about burn multiple lately. And, you know, I think I, I know David Sachs has done a lot of writing about this as well. And, um, you know, I think it, it is a really important metric. But I think the thing that I would always caution a CEO of a of a company to do is if you're if you're expecting though your growth, what, what that presumes is that your growth rate is going to be somewhat uh, static, right? Or 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 it's going to stay the same, and it's going to you're going to continue. And I think one of the things you really need to do is be looking at that growth rate and start to anticipate the uh, decline in that growth rate, right? So if you're going to look at if you're going to look at a burn multiple to kind of almost take a little bit of a discount on that growth to be able to say, okay, but even though my burn <clears throat> multiple today might be 1.5, if the market slows down, if our sales slow down, which you have to almost anticipate they will, you know, I could I could find myself creep, you know creeping up north of two or more um, really quickly. So I think it's you know you've got to you've got to be one of the one of the things one of the things that's interesting to me and and I've sort of joked about this a couple of times recently with people is like I think I've now turned into the most depressing man on. Twitter. And the reason is because I keep writing about like, get ready, <laughs> just like get prepared. Right. Because when this stuff happens, this trickle down effect of the public markets get wild, that trickles down to the private markets, that trickles down to VC, that trickles down to, to private companies. And when that happens, it gets bloody so fast. I mean, it that tide turns so fast that if you're a CEO today, you've really you've got to be thinking about what your strategy is. You've got to be thinking about doing exactly what you just said. How do I get 12 to 18 months? I wrote about 12 to 18 months and I've said 18 to 24. I get so many terrible comments. Like, I mean, just flamed so many times when I say this, people are like, you don't need it. It's fear mongering and all this stuff. It's just unbelievable when it, when it happens. And there's just not, unless you're over 40, you haven't lived through this, right? It's been 13 (laughs) years since we had a downturn. You know, we had the COVID blip, but, you know, unless you've lived through, you know, you, you, you lived through a recession and Peter and I have both done it in 2001 and then 2008. And I lost it was the not company fun. in 2001. Um, and I lost the company in 08. Right. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> together, <laughs> together, we can't, we can't manage to make it through a recession. It's unbelievable. It's, <laughs> individually, we're okay. Together, we're, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you really, I mean, it just, the, the pace that it happens is so fast, right? And getting that cash on hand and, and understanding that you are not immune to to this kind of gyration, this, you know, these sort of wild vibrations like, that occur. Yeah. I'd say the biggest warning is it, I mean, it, we were, the company I lost, we were growing at 220% year over year. I mean, it was out of con- almost out of control growth. Like we were trying to catch up with the funding to support it and slow it down. And then 
we turned everything off because we ran out of the funding was like gone. It's like being in a desert and all of a sudden there's no water and you're like, wow, this is crazy. And everyone's congratulating us on how much we're growing. And I'm like, it's not, that's not good. This is not good. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Can I, can I mail you my keys, please? <laughs> yeah. We, we ran in a cash in uh, January of uh, 09. And it's just like, it was awful. 190% growth that year, right into trouble. Like it, yeah. it was like, it, it was like, now we have no cash. And yeah. uh, that that's not, that's not fun. Well, the, 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 uh, the sad irony in situations like that, and I, I went through a very similar one in 2001 where, you know, we, we had gone literally between, uh, I think between 90, 99 and 2001, we went from zero to 8 million in revenue. This was a services business. And yep. we started the year right around 8 million in revenue. And yep. um, by the end of the year, we were out of business. I mean, we're astronomical growth, right? And I think, I think what 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 people don't necessarily understand that if you don't have a real sort of firm grasp of your financials, what they don't understand is the faster you are growing, the more exposed actually you are. Yeah, you can't outgrow this, right? When yeah. unless you are super, unless you're really profitable. But you know, startups yeah. that are living on venture funding and things like that on on outside funding, you cannot outgrow this, right? You, as no. a matter of fact, it will it will accelerate the issues, not, not exactly. Them. Yeah. This yeah, is absolutely. so true. And you, so, and you, I, yeah, go go ahead. Ahead. No, I was going to say, so, you know, there's been so many, there, there's been so many changes, right? And I think one of the, yeah. one of the big things when you start to see this is because it has been so long, there has been this kind of structural, um, there, there's been this structure that has been put in place, right? With these mega PEs, with, super large VCs with, you know, going earlier and earlier stage. What do you see, Alex's, like, what, what does VC look like when all of this shakes out? Is it different than yeah. it has been? And in, in, in what ways? Yeah, that's, that's a really excellent question. I think, you know, casting, casting at least the, the current um, you know, significant downturn to, to a side just for a second before, before this, you know, very significant downturn. The the face of VC was changing significantly. You know, people were forming much greater affinity with individuals over institutions. And I think, mm-hmm. in large part, this has something to do with the distrust that has been developed with the mainstream media through time. You know, traditionally we had the the, the mainstream media newspaper, radio, television internet and so forth. But now it's very, very relevant that they have an agenda. They want to make money through clicks, through views, versus Mm -hmm. now people want to go direct to the source. They want to go direct to the founder, the firm, and get their news from the source. And this has no greater effect than within VC. So the rise of solo GPs, such as, you know, Patty McCormick, uh, Harry Stebbings, my fellow Londoner, uh, you know, even, even Sahil Blooms recently raised, raised a fund at the start of this year. Me? Uh, Mr. Greg Moran, of course. <laughs> can't, can't forget that. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, individuals are now the brands. Distribution is the game. And this, this essentially, this, this shift in venture to... A very significant change in the whole brand building process, you know, mm-hmm. and and I guess this ties in quite nicely with the idea of 
building a community, building online, building community first, where, you know, instead of going through, say, a traditional PR mechanism of announcing a new deal, you know, we have, we have Chamath Paliapatia going direct to his fans on Twitter going, oh, just, uh, just, uh, you know, invested in a new SPAC or whatever it might be. But, you know, it's, it's, maybe not so much in the SPAC sense, but especially within early stage venture, you know, individuals doing a quick loom video or a quick voiceover or a quick collaboration with some of the other co-investors, you as the consumer, you as the person on the other end of that transaction who's going to be participating in the betterment of that portfolio company, you're getting a real flavor, a real understanding of what's going on, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And okay, yeah, I... I like this guy because I've been following him on Twitter for the last two years. I, I know he's believable. He's invested in this company. I think I might check it out. That yeah. has far greater meaning and credibility versus, say, a traditional PR firm intermediating the process for you yeah. and that personal touch often being lost. Yeah, that is that is such a great point. I mean, um, I think, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I've never <clears throat> thought about that linkage to kind of the media and, and, you know, people's feelings toward the media before, but I think it makes complete sense. Right. And when you look at, when you look at that sort of rise of the solo VC, and in, in my case, I'm not literally a solo. I do have a, I do have a couple of partners, but I mean, we're, but we're it, right. We're yeah. the, we're the entire firm. And, you know, you look at that, it's, it really is about distribution, right. It really is about how can you, how can you help to to sort of create the company that you are um, that you are uh, that you're investing in? And I think, you know, when you when you compare that, what, one of the one of the biggest challenges I this, I used to wrestle with this constantly, and and this blew, this would blow me away that I had a you know I had a number of investors in my previous business, and I had no idea who the LPs were. I had no idea. There were SPVs investing in my last company that I had no idea who's in the SPV. Yeah. I'll never forget this as long as I live. The, the greatest example of this, our largest client, I don't want to give this, uh, our largest client was one of the largest airlines in the world. They were, <clears throat> they represented, a, you know, not a meaningful, you know, probably three, four points in our, in our revenue. And we were, they were on the rocks and we were having a hard time retaining them. What I did not know is that their chairman was one of our investors because this wall existed, right? I found out after I lost the client that the chairman of the company was one of my investors. I ended up finding out, going to lunch with him, telling him the story. And he said, why didn't you call me? And I said, I didn't know who you were. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. I mean, I knew who he was. Everybody would know who this guy is. But I had no idea that he was actually one of our investors, right? Because this wall existed. And I think one of the things that we've really sought to do is kind of break down that wall and allow our LPs and allow, you know, allow people who want to get involved and want to have visibility to make that real personal connection so that we can help grow a business together. Yeah, totally great. Totally. And I think, you know, the, the point there being, look, let's maintain control over our message. Right. And I think when you look at traditional firms, they have neither brand nor distribution, you know, and, and, right. and, and back to that point, 
specifically with, with journalism, you know, in order for journalism to work, you need all these, all these groups of, of journalists to buy into this certain code, this certain ethos, this yep. certain behaviour. And in turn, it skews objectivity. Right. right. It, it's it, like I said. It's it's all click generation, and it, it, it's it sort of hides hides the real truth. <clears throat> yeah. Versus now, you know, when when we do get to keep keep control of our message and and avoid uh, uncertain circumstances such, such such as that, Greg, it's it's a much nicer, less intermediated way to get your point across. Yep. And at least the internet. It has just commoditized the reporting of facts. Yeah. And I think, you know, to talk to, to my point previously with, with the solo G, with these solo GPs going direct, you know, raising now, if I'm raising a new fund, if I'm scouting for talent, if I'm looking for recommendations, all of these are just a tweet away, a blog away True. to audiences that are, you know, a hundred K plus deep. Right. It's crazy how deep and connected this ecosystem actually is yeah and look now individuals we are the truth seekers mainstream media perhaps click seekers so the bottom line is that we want to form affinity with people platforms you know twitter i think is such a wonderful platform to do that and we'll see we'll see what elon does with the whole thing in regards to the takeover process and also with regards to free speech but the removal of these traditional media houses, it does allow everything to be taken at face value because individuals can now arrive at the truth through a more efficient marketplace of ideas. Right. That's the big one. It's going from intermediated to direct, less speech to more speech, and we have this greater abundance of ideas, hence the need to cut through the noise. <laughs> well, that's a perfect uh, that's a perfect way to to kind of round it up, Alex. And we're uh, we're getting to the last couple minutes. So, tell us before we wrap up, um, what do you what, what's the plan? What do you you know? You're a founder yourself. You're you're building your your sort of media, your own media brand, if I want to call it that, or your sort of curation brand, or however you want to describe that. But what is that? What is that kind of long term strategy for you as you uh, as you see it today? What should we be watching out for? Yeah. Um... This is a, such a big, deep question, but I, I'd, I, I always love to, to sink my teeth into these, Greg. So really what I'm, what I'm doing at the moment is building, building something in the, in the intersection of media and investing, right? I think having, having distribution on the first hand is, is at least my go-to strategy because I know, as I said before, having, having a deep connected audience who knows, likes, and trusts you in a space online where you're giving so much value for free over a long period of time that the bank of goodwill that you amass is is not even funny. And you know, we've we've seen that with prime examples of some prolific creators on Twitter now going out to form their own venture funds just because they have the spear point of distribution in the grasp of their two hands and they can go to their audience. And pretty much, you know, source top talent, get access to incredible deals, deals, and find a caliber of information and people that would otherwise not have been accessible to. So yep. I would love to point myself in that direction with the ideas that I'm talking about through the newsletter, with the conversations that I'm having with the founders and VCs on my podcast, 
and really, you know, arrive at the truth, arrive at that marketplace of distribution, whilst also having the ability to invest in some of these early stage startups that are foundationally unlocking a lot of economic opportunity over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yep. Well, Alex, you're doing a great job doing it. I've been following the story for Absolutely. a while and, uh, you know, love love watching it. And I think, um, so Through the Noise is the podcast. Through the Noise is the newsletter. You find Alex. Um, you've. I, I want to get this right because Alex has this, what are the worst problems I've seen with like Twitter people stealing his, stealing his, uh, his handle, but it's the Alex Bex on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something, uh, Something that I hope Elon fixes, you know, getting rid of bots, <laughs> getting rid of the trolls. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> the, that's right. Alex has had a uh, Alex has had a, a bit of a bot problem of late. But uh, but the the Alex Bank. So um, Alex, awesome to have you on the show. Um, really appreciate it. A lot of fun. I could uh, I you know there was I love listening to kind of the the simplicity, uh, you know, the elegance that you talk about the uh, the financial markets with. So it. Um, it really is uh, really great to have you here. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll definitely be having you back again once we start to sort out the next phase of this uh, of this craziness we, that's going on. We, we definitely will. Thank you so much for coming. Guys, awesome. Greg, Peter, it's been a, a real pleasure doing this one. Thank you so much for having me. And listen, I wish you nothing but success with the Founders Journey podcast, Founders Journey newsletter, and uh, everything in between. I know it's going to rock. Appreciate <laughs> Thank it. Alex. You. Thank thanks. You. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Give it like a second or two or like, just give it a, we're still recording right now, but somehow I'll figure out how to get rid of, get rid of this, but don't say anything super bad in between since I really don't know how to get rid of it. (laughs) What's the time right now? The actual time? It's one forty-eight, so that's forty-eight minutes in. I don't think we started recording right at. Okay, so say forty forty-five. <laughs> we, we should probably come up with like a better way to <laughs> a better way to figure this out. So the last podcast I was on, that somebody did this. He just counted to three before, and then we. Be, be, that happened because uh, we had a break in the middle because I lost my internet connection. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was trying to, the one time I've ever tried to do one of these out of my house. Um, so we'll just go into it and just, you know, spend five minutes. Just what'd you learn? Yeah. Do you want to do it now? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll count to three and then we'll do it. Okay. You count to three. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. So that was a uh, that was a good one, Peter. What did you uh, what did you take away? He was, he was great. I mean, if if you're a founder and you're listening to this, it started out sounding like this, you know, CNBC narrative of what's going on in the market. But I think it was it was a little deeper than that. But then it it all kept coming back to wait a minute, this is affecting you, and then connecting the dots between the public market and the private market and where companies sit today is super important. And I I just think it's invaluable for people to think about this now. And I know you mentioned that people were, you know, giving trouble and saying, Hey, you know, the sky is falling, but 
I would have liked some heads up and when my <laughs> sky was falling and yeah. I didn't know it, uh, we probably would have done some things differently. We would have moved different, like faster in different areas. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what you think, but I think it's super important to be super attentive to what's going on. It's one of your jobs yep. as the CEO of any company. Yeah, no, it's a great, <clears throat> it's a great point. Alex is a brilliant, brilliant guy and, and, you know, writes, writes with a lot of clarity around, I mean, it's, you know, he is, he calls, you know, his, uh, his business is called through the noise and this podcast and newsletter. And, but he does an incredible job of like just writing with, with, and speaking with a lot of clarity about what's going on, but, but that it is, it is a really big macro topic, but you're absolutely right. If you're the, if you're the CEO and you're running a company, you have to understand what is out there. And yeah, I mean, I have, I've been getting, you know, a lot of kind of negative stuff coming back, you know, not, not a ton, but I mean, enough yeah. to, enough to, to notice where, you know, I, I think there's always this moment where people want to put their head in the sand. Right. And I've been writing yeah. a lot about here's how you prepare, right. Here's, here are the things you need to be thinking about. Maybe I'm wrong. Nobody knows where this is. What is go. the downside? What is the right. downside? Like you're, or so you, maybe your growth isn't like, if you're kind of adjusting some like if you're adjusting to to get this 18 month runway it, it's it's probably going to affect your growth mm -hmm. but but you're also more fiscally sound right you right. you've just shored up your business you became more you know investable really yeah. and that's kind yeah. of what you know Alex was talking about like you are more investable that, that message that you're giving is i you know like I'm a professional CEO. I know what I'm doing. Even if this is your first time, it doesn't mean you can't be that person, right? right? You can't get prepared and then you're more investable, right? It's, yep. it's a, those conversations where it's like, you know, the old conversation was like, how much AR you have? Like, where right. are you? The new conversation is like, well, here's how much AR, but also I have runway and all this is doing is just helping shore up that what I've already done. That's good. Right. And and that's a better conversation. You know, if I came to you as an investor and said, Hey, here's where we're at. And you're like, wow, this deal looks a lot better than the one that's like, yep, we're running out of money. And, you know, but we yep. still have like this high growth. We're good. We're good. Alex like, talked about the, that, <clears throat> that ratio, the, um, the burn multiple uh, yep. metric. And I think it's a really good, I think it's, it, it's going to become increasingly important. It's important right now. And it's going to become increasingly important. I know just from the VC side, I mean, I look at this all the time. Right. And I, you know, and, and I, I'm sure I'm still continually shocked. I mean, I, when I talk to a CEO or a founder who, yeah. you know, is saying, well, no, we're fine. We don't need to do this because, you know, I've got enough, I've got enough cash to get me through the end of the year. So I'm okay. And but what the but the pro, the fundamental problem the end of the year sounds like a long time away. Um, the problem is what's going to happen is fundraising cycles are going to continue to elongate, right? They're going to right. get really long, and it, they're going to be investing in a risk off environment, right? Which is, you know, we're going to we're going to be investing when there's some when there's some inherent sustainability. Companies have to yeah. be profitable, but they can't be burning, you know, right. at a, at absurd multiples. And it's probably going to take you six or more months to raise that round because what a, what a VC is going to want to do or what any kind of investor is going to want to do is track you for a little while, right? And see how do you manage in this environment? And to what extent is this kind of environment going to impact your business? And I think, yeah. 
you know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think that burn multiple is a great metric. I think, you know, always focusing in any economic environment, always focusing on the unit economics of the business to understand what's your sales efficiency. Are you selling profitably? Are you selling unprofitably? What's going to happen in an environment like this is the ones who are selling unprofitably are going to be the first ones to get shook out. Yeah. And the pressure Um, comes down and yeah, it's, I mean, that, that, that the due diligence is going to look at that, right? You're going to, that's one of the things that would be the first thing to look at and see, okay, where is this sustainable and at what rate? Right. Or, right. or yeah. while wow, they have a really good model, you know, they just need to kind of extend it and then right. they'll continue to be good. I think there's, there's two really important concepts, right? One is sustainability and one is investability, like you just said. And there, but there, you know, sometimes they're two different things, right? Where yep. you may have to actually become almost uninvestable for a period of time to become sustainable. Right. Right. Because sustainability is the ultimate thing. Like if you don't have a business left in a few months to, to invest in investability doesn't matter. Right. So I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That that didn't happen to me at all. I mean, look at same thing happened to me. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. But you know, that happened to, I, at least in my case, and I, and I think in your case too, I mean, ultimately what that came down to was cash. Right. I mean, it just simply came down to cash, not having the runway for whatever, however, we both got there and we both got there different ways. Right. I got there because I was spending like a drunken, insane sailor. And, you know, we were just plowing everything into growth and we got, you know, we got taken out. We didn't have the cash and you had, you know, different circumstances with creditors and things like that. But yeah, um, but we ran out of cash. So, right. I mean, that's what it comes down to. In the water. Right. It's just making sure that you've got you've got that liquidity that can get you through an extended period of time. Right. If you do, you got nothing to worry about. And that's what, you can use it as an opportunity to really you're going to come out of this. a Like you just said, you're going to come out of this a better business. Absolutely. I mean, that ratio is really cool because that's going to tell you kind of where you're at. Yep. Um, and totally. if you affect that in a positive way for yourself, you're basically creating more sustainability in your business. Totally. Totally. Even if you're burning cash. Right. right. And the side benefit is you're probably less, <clears throat> you'll be less reliant on yeah. VCs going forward, right? Keep some of that <laughs> yeah. equity in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Cool. So uh, thanks, Peter. Uh, great. Uh, another uh, fun edition here of uh, the Founder's Journey. And we will uh, be back soon. These are released every uh, every Friday-ish. Um, although I think this one, last one came out on a Saturday, but um, yep. but every Friday-ish. So if you haven't, if you haven't subscribed... Um, make sure you uh, you hit the subscribe button at the yeah. end of this. Uh, Great guest. We have another really good guest coming up next week. So can't wait for you guys to hear that. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining right. the Founders Journey Podcast.